Hi, John Morgan here, and welcome to this episode of the Keep Growing Podcast. Before we get started with this episode, I wanted to give you an update going forward. Over the winter, I was releasing an episode every two weeks, alternating with our live show, Bob's Live. Now that warmer weather is here, you can expect a new episode on a somewhat monthly schedule until we hunker down for next winter. Of course, you can always get the newest episodes by subscribing on your podcast app of choice or by heading over to bobsmarket.com slash keepgrowing. In this episode, I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart, plant taxonomy. Wait, don't go. I know science stuff can be a bit boring, but there's a fun side to plant taxonomy. It can even be a bit of an art, and that's pressing plants. I'll get to the science stuff later, but you might want to stick around for that too. Pressing plants is a great way to preserve the beauty of your favorite plants and create stunning displays that you can enjoy for years to come. So let's dive in. First of all, let's talk about why you might want to press plants for display. There are many reasons. From preserving your favorite flower or leaf, to creating unique wall art or botanical journals. Press plants can also be used for crafting, such as making bookmarks or greeting cards. So, how do you press plants? The process is actually quite simple. If you've ever stuck a leaf into a book, that's a simple plant press. But here's the basic steps to do it in a little bit more organized way. First, choose the plants you want to press. Select plants that are in good condition and have no signs of damage or disease. It's best to choose plants that are fresh and not too mature. Step two, prepare your materials. You'll need a plant press, which can be purchased or made at home using cardboard and blotting paper. In fact, I made mine uh, from some ripped down two before slats and um, using rope just to bind it all together and create pressure. You also need scissors, pruning shears, a pencil or pen, and a notebook and a way to label your specimens. Step three is cutting the plants. Use your scissors or pruning shears to cut the plants, leaving a stem that is long enough to fit in your press. Try to cut the plants in the morning when they are the freshest. Now, when I was in college, we would head out at like the crack of dawn to collect plant specimens. Step four, arrange the plants in your press. Place the plants in between two sheets of blotting paper and arrange them so they are flat and not overlapping. Write down the date, location, and any other information you have about the plant on a label or in your notebook. Again, when I had plant taxonomy in college, I kept a nice thick notebook with numbers that corresponded to folders that I kept the plant specimens in. Step five, press the plants. Tighten the screws on your plant press or 
place a weight on top to flatten the plants. And you want to leave them to dry for about two weeks. A helpful tip here is you can set the press in front of a vent or some place where there is some airflow because getting any type of airflow around the plant press will help the specimens dry out more quickly. Step six, remove the plants. Carefully remove the dried plants from the press and store them in a dry, cool place. You can also take this a step further by putting them in a freezer for a week or two to kill any critters that might have hitched a ride. You don't want something hatching out and then munching on your specimens. Now that you know how to press plants, let's talk about how to display them. There are many ways to display pressed plants, from framing them to creating botanical collages. But here's a few ideas. First, like I said, you can frame them. You can place the plants in a simple frame to create beautiful wall art. This is actually something my wife and I are planning on doing in our own house. You can also arrange them in a shadow box for a more three-dimensional display. Along those same lines, you can also make botanical prints. You can use pressed plants as stamps to make custom prints. Did you know Benjamin Franklin invented using leaves as an anti-counterfeiting measure when he ran a printing press? The unique vein pattern made the currency he printed very hard to counterfeit. You can make your collage. Arrange the pressed plants on a sheet of paper or canvas to create a unique piece of art, using different colors and textures to create visually interesting displays. Create a journal. Use your pressed plants to create a one-of-a-kind journal. Glue them onto pages, write about the plant, where you found it, and any other interesting information. A ton of people just do this as a hobby. And finally, as I said before, you can make bookmarks and greeting cards. Cut a strip of paper, glue a pressed plant onto one end, and you have a bookmark. Pressing plants is a great way to preserve the beauty of your favorite plants and create unique displays. With a bit of patience and creativity, you can turn your pressed plants into stunning works of art. You can even create something worthy of a museum. Did you know there's museums for pressed plants? They're called herbariums. Let's go on a field trip. Today I'm here at my alma mater, where we're going to go back to school and we're going to meet with a professor and learn about plant taxonomy. So let's go learn about some plants. So I'm here today with Dr. Pupo from Marshall University, and she is curator of the herbarium, which is where we're sitting right now. Um, if you could, Tell us a little bit about what an herbarium is. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you, John, for coming to visit. Nice to meet you, everyone. 
So um, a herbarium is a plant museum, basically. So a lot of you may be familiar with normal museums where you go and see uh, rocks or stuffed animals or skeletons or these kind of things. So the way we preserve plants is a little bit different. So plants have to be pressed flat and dried and then we glue them to basically a, a cardboard with a label that has information on where that plant has been collected. And then this is how we store them. So I'm sure you will show them in a little bit how these cabinets look like and those plants look like, right? Mm -hmm. So Marshall University's herbarium is the second largest in the state of West Virginia. And we have 50,000 specimens. Most of them come from this state. And so herbarium are important because as you can imagine, we have a big diversity here recorded in our specimens. So if you want to study a particular group of plants, you don't have to go all over and look for them. You can just come here and see what we have. And these collections span space and time. So the herbarium here is about 100 years old. And so we have collections that are 100 or older and that have been collected mostly in West Virginia, but also from other places in the US and also even other countries in the world. Yep, so um, I know Dr. Evans, um, he was here when I was here, right. and he traveled a lot to South America, so yes. there are some specimens here from yes. South America. Yes, and you cannot see them because they're behind the camera, <laughs> but um, we have some ethnobotanical um, collection here, which means some things that have been made by men out of plants and that are used by men and so the, the person John is mentioning, Dr. Evans, he was the director of this herbarium uh, for 40 years from the 70s to 2012 and he worked on how some tribes in the Amazon in Ecuador use some of those plants and so we also have some of these things that he brought with him. I'm originally from Peru and I also specialized in some groups of plants from the Andes. And so hopefully with time, we can also start bringing more of those here. Um, but for now, as I said, our focus is West Virginia plants. Yeah. Um, so for the Appalachian region. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, more broadly, you teach plant taxonomy. And yes. for most of our viewers, they might not know what plant taxonomy is. Right. The way I like to think about the taxonomy is like um, a cabinet with multiple drawers, right? And so you, we organize things in drawers very neatly and we know where everything goes. And so plant taxonomy is something like that. So you have all of these different species of plants and you need a way of kind of organizing them. And so the way we organize plants is in orders and families and genera and then species. And so plant taxonomy deals with this classification in a way that makes sense. So I'm also, I'm a plant taxonomist, that's one of the things I do. I specialize in particular groups of plants, one of them is in the Andes, another one is in the Mediterranean region. Um, and so what we do is basically we look at these species and try to classify them. We also identify new species and describe new species to science. Um, we also provide identification keys that people can use to differentiate different species in the wild, for example. And why is this important? Well, if you think about medicinal plants, right? 
how do you know what species is medicinal and another one might be toxic? And so you need people that can properly identify those plants so that we can use for different things, right? And this gets especially tricky in very similar species. Everybody knows what an apple and an orange is and they can differentiate them, right? But knowing perhaps which variety of apple it is or what kind of different species or roses or whatever you can think of, it's a very special um, mm. job. And so that's why we tend to focus on very particular groups. Yeah. So we can develop this expertise because we know those species and how they look like and how to differentiate them. And so it's also very applied work, right? It's not only theoretical, but how can we talk about diversity? We don't know how many species we have, for mm. example. Or how do we know what plants can we use or consume if we don't know which species we have, right? Or which are safe to eat or not. So. Right. Um, is there any particular research that you're working on right now? Well, I, I work in different kinds of research. Yeah. Um, so as I said, one of my focus is plant taxonomy mm -hmm. uh, with these two particular groups of plants. And sometimes I get sent plants from these groups to identify. Um, I got some from Collective in Bolivia uh, a couple of months ago that are sitting in my office waiting for me to look at them. Um, but some of the other things I do, um, I also have a molecular lab. So I have a, a room right next door that is my lab. And so I extract DNA out of plants and kind of try to rebuild, if you wish, kind of the genealogy of the species. So what species um, had a common ancestor and how do these species differentiate in time? And so we do that with DNA. Yeah. Um, and you actually can extract DNA out of these museum samples as well. And so that's one of the projects I have. Another thing I started kind of recently, and I'm trying to develop here at Marshall, is I'm using DNA to understand what plants are used by solitary bees. Mm. And I'm not interested in the bees per se, don't get me wrong, I love bees, um, but I'm a plant person. And so there are a lot of you may be familiar with honeybees, right? Yeah. And how you can put your um, nests and they will form their colonies, right? And they will go and get their own food. But did you know there are actually hundreds of species of bees that do not form colonies? They are solitary bees and they are wild. And so a lot of them, the female will construct her own nest, lay their eggs and provide food for the bee babies, right? And each female will do this without having a queen and the whole colony system. Um, so we have about 300 to 500 species of wild bees here in this area. And because they're solitary, they're kind of hard to study. And so we don't really know what plants they are using. And these bees provide free pollination services. Um, there are, they tend to specialize in particular groups of plants. They prefer certain, each bee will prefer different kind of plants. And so one of the things I do is, for example, I can collect a pollen on the bee body and I will use that pollen to extract the DNA from the pollen and then match it to the plants where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And that allows me to know what kind of plants are visited or are being visited by these bees. Mm -hmm. um, I have variations of this kind of study with a couple of different bees. I work with ones that are sunflower specialists. Um, and so that's the ones that we collect the pollen from their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, I work with another ones that are alfalfa leaf gutters. Have you ever heard about leaf 
whole life. Yeah. Uh, and so these bees will lay an egg in this nest they construct out of leaf cutouts. They put a provision that is a mix of nectar and pollen for the egg when it hatches, the larva has food. And they do this for each egg and each cell in their nest. Mm. And so what I do is I take that food out of the nest and do the same process of extracting the DNA of trying to see what plants they're gathering for this provision and also for constructing their nest. Um, so there are just a couple of examples of the kind of research we do in the lab. I do have a master's student working exclusively with herbarium material. And so he's looking at a particular group of species that is called the rosids, that includes several different species. A lot of them are major components of our West Virginia forest. Um, oaks, um, walnuts, all of the big trees are in this group. And so what he's doing is he's taking off the herbarium material for those plants making a list of the species we have for the state, where they are distributed, and then he's putting those in a map. And so he's looking into where the hotspots of diversity are for these species in our state. And in that way, we can inform conservation actions. So which areas of our state are more diverse and therefore should be prioritized yeah. in conservation. Yeah. And we have a poster outside that you can see afterwards. Okay. So that's another example of the kind of research we do in my lab. Alright, um, if people are interested in learning more um, about the programs here, like maybe they're a student that might be interested in attending Marshall, yes. um, how can they find out more information? So, we have a master's program here at Marshall, um, it's very good, if you mind my saying, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a very good uh, master's program, it's a two-year program, um, you can do some research with one of our faculty here in the department. Um, you can apply for a um, graduate teaching assistant position. If you get one of those, your tuition will be covered for the two years of grad school and you will get a stipend, a monthly stipend. Um, visit Marshall website, the Biological Sciences Department, and then we have information of our graduate programs. I can also give you my website so you can put okay. it in there if people want to know more about my research. Yep, so I'll put that in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, thank you. We have people here with many different specialities in the Marshall um, Biological Sciences Department. We have people working with plant ecology, uh, we have neuroscientists, paleontologists, human biologists, herpetology, you name it. Yeah. It's a great school. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming! <laughs> Again, I want to thank Dr. Pupo for sharing about the herbarium, plant taxonomy, and all the cool stuff happening at Marshall University. I'll add a more in-depth guided tour of the herbarium in the show notes for this episode. As a Marshall alum, it was a great opportunity to show a somewhat hidden gem at Marshall that contributes to our knowledge of not only plants in Appalachia, but specimens from all over the world. Finally, feel free to reach out with your gardening questions to keepgrowing at bobsmarket.com. They just might become inspiration for an episode. Until next time, keep growing. Copyright 2023, Bob's Market and Greenhouses, Incorporated.